spooky season, everyone, and welcome to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast, where for the rest of the month, we will be uncovering new, mold, and somewhere between comic books that is sure to be a mix of the unexpected. We're going to help you find that next ghoulish reading, or a slightly decayed favorite from the past. But at the end of each show, you'll be able to treat yourself to some fantastic spooky. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am pleased to welcome back, and it's a long time getting him back. It is none other than Martin Gray, who also runs a blog called Danger Mart, Too Dangerous for Girls 2. Now, um, we're here to talk about Joker, a Bronze Age comic book, but Martin, tell the fans a little bit about yourself and your blog. Well, I'm an English person living in Scotland, basically British, and I have been doing a blog since I checked this today, and it's scary, 2007, called Too Dangerous for a Girl, in which I look at mainly DC and Marvel comics, chatter on, overwrite, and people comment, which makes my day. We are putting this together for a spooky season uh, episode at the end of the month. And we are talking about this Bronze Age Joker series. It was for nine issues. It was from May. To, uh, it was a Mayish of 1975 through the middle of 1976. There was a tenth issue that spent decades being unpublished. That was finally released in 2019. That's another story. This. It was a time when Joker wasn't quite as popular as he is now. Back then, it was the first DC baddie, baddie to get his own ongoing series, and the cover was by. Ernie Chan, written by Elias Magan. Pencil was Erd Novak. Inker was Ted Blaisdell. Now, I remember Ted Blaisdell uh, because I had somebody else on about a year ago and that clicked into me. I did a little research and I'm like, oh, wow. Blaisdell was a comic book artist who actually worked on the Little Orphan Annie comic strip they drew for five years. And I'm like, that's another creator that people don't hear about anymore that should because it's important. I know him because I had a past guest on who had him as a teacher at the Joe Kubert School of Art years ago. And it was also edited by Julius Schwartz, which I thought uh, was interesting because I only thought he was a Superman editor. So this is a team up of kind of with the Joker and Scarecrow. Martin, what do you think of it? First off, let's have your, your thoughts on things. It's a very, very snappy one issue story. You get the Joker in there in his. Bronze Age form, which is basically manic, funny, not slicing his face off, not mass murdering people. I think there's one killing in this story, but it's off, well, it's not really off panel, but it's not gruesome. And is in an interesting confrontation with one of my favorite baddies. And overall, it's just jolly entertaining. I mean, from, from beginning to end, you have lots of fun dialogue, fun situations, good DC scenarios popping up, good creators in of Novik is the artist and Mr. Elliot F. Magan. Don't forget the exclamation mark on the F as the writer. And it's, it's just a really fun diversion. You can just pick it up, enjoy, go away, not have to worry about what happened before, what happened afterwards. It's what, a very, very good fun comic. What's What's funny is back then you had what was called a comic code. And at the end, the bad guys could never win. 
So these creators had to go through all these really interesting hoops creatively to make the Joker comic book work. Because at the end, he always had to be caught. And he it's kind of funny because at the end of the show, or I'm sorry, at the end of the uh, issue, he actually winds up back at Arkham Asylum where he started. And it, he kind of appears in a creep way. The guards go and check on him and he's not there. And then they leave and hear his laugh and go back. And there he is in the straitjacket. And it just comes out to be a very creepy Joker um, from even creepier than we have back now. Um, I told you, Martin, that I like this as a as a spooky type thing because this Joker, to me, is different than the Joker than we have now. He was more of an implied crazy guy, whereas the modern day Joker, he would just do anything. You know, this one, you never knew back then what the Joker might or might not do. It was kind of, you know, kind of shady in what he might do. And it was made the Joker, to me, a little more interesting, a little more menacing, a little more scary. What do you think about the Joker compared to then to now, Martin? I much prefer the Joker then because, you know, he wasn't nearly as overused. I, th I think, you know, what, what was he came, he basically came back a couple of years before in Batman, having not been seen for quite a while, certainly in his really dangerous golden age type scary form. But here he's not quite as murderous again. He's he's a fun character on the page. He's a mischief maker. But yeah, you, you never know whether he's going to murder you because at one point in here he, he kills one of his own goons as a, as a warning to others in a very entertaining manner. And yeah, nowadays it's like if the Joker shows up, you just know people are going to get murdered left, right and centre. And there's, there's just no surprise. As you say, back then he could he could do anything. He was unpredictable. You know, he he might actually, you know, at the end of the day, just pop off, not, not bother sort of snicking things if it was on a whim. Much, much more to my taste, that Joker. The Joker that we have now is actually based upon Batman 251, which had come out a few years earlier, back in 73. It was a Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams story. And that was a reimagining of Joker, taking him back to his more crazy psychopathic years of dur during the Silver Age. I'm mean, sorry, during the Golden Age. Not so much that prankster that Cesar Merrill was in the Batman TV series of the 60s. Or throughout the whole Silver Age, he was more of a jank, jokester, prankster. This is the jokester that, you know, that puts the homicidal maniac into him. And again, you're right. Today, the joker today in 2023, eh, it's no big deal if he bumps people off. You expect him to bump people off. But back then, he had this menace to him that you quite didn't know what was going to happen with them all. He, he absolutely did. I mean, in this story, you don't even need Batman or anybody. And their joker is compelling enough by himself and has an antagonist in, in the Scarecrow. And they're both such excellent characters, and neither of whom were overused then, and certainly the Scarecrow is not overused even now. Even and, the, yeah, even the Scarecrow is a different type of square, Scarecrow than what we have today. Well, he is, yeah, because obviously he's, he's pretty much pretty much the same physically. But yeah. He was he was much he was much more yeah the psychiatrist the mad scientist interested in his gas gun, whereas now we just seem to be interested in how many how many people he can kill. The gas gun was there for for the crimes, but now you know this almost to me the whole nine ten issues comes off to me as almost like a Joker team up book because you have all these different characters that appear. Yeah, but this scarecrow isn't quite as scary. I mean, heck, he's even got an accomplice who is a, a trained, a trained raven, a trained crow. So he's like, he's not really scaring the crows. He's just no. It's <laughs> funny. It, 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 
I also thought that the covers, a lot of the covers in the Joker series, they are really some striking covers. You know, they they they're really in your face covers that really stand out. If you look at all nine, 10 issues, and I'm like, you know, back then creators had to really look for eye-catching covers because a lot of times comic books are thrown at a spinner rack, they were thrown at the bottom of a magazine rack. You had to thumb through them. They weren't neatly displayed as they are at comic book shops now. And back then, it's like, you might have 50, 60 comic books in a pile. And I know as a kid, as a brand age, bronze age baby, I'd be down there, you know, flipping through a comic book and go, oh, this cover looks good because, you know, that's who you were appealing to back then as, as kids. It's like, if this is an eye-catching cover, yeah, of course I was going to buy it. The other thing I thought was kind of funny, especially with this issue, was how much stuff was on the cover. You know, you have... At the very beginning, because it came out in 76, you have DC Luce the Bicentennial. DC Luce the Bicentennial. Then you got another DC like banner up there with the Joker. Then you got the Crown Prince of Crime logo. Then you got the Joker logo. It's like almost the whole third of the page is just covered with verbiage and stuff. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Well, I mean, I love a good logo. The Joker is a brilliant logo. This but logo. Is this logo even used today? Do they still use this logo? I don't think so. No, no, sadly not. But I mean, it's, it's perfect because you've got, you know, the, the big J, the big, the Joker's face in the O, and then the other four letters, J-K-E-R, all have a playing card in there. And it's great. But yeah, have, having the Joker logo twice, because it's also in this, the bandy that you mentioned with the special guest villain, the Scarecrow, obviously thought it could sort of pop out over the other, back, other in front, sorry, it could be seen when it's behind other comics. Great, but when you have it as the whole, part of the whole image, like you say, you've got a whole third of the cover gone. But luckily, the rest of the cover, the actual image by Ernie Chua slash Ernie Chan, is so engaging. I mean, what what do you think of the actual image? I love that image. It's 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 because the the scarecrow. I mean, it actually looks menacing out there. He looks like he's about ready to take out the Joker. I, you know. <laughs> Because he's hiding behind, he almost reminds me of the um, old Halloween movie from 1970, John Carpenter, where the, the shape is like right around the corner waiting to take out the Joker. So you don't even see the, the scarecrow's face, you see the eyes and the whatever. And, but it, it you know, it's it's a little, it's interesting. Um, but, you know, it, it, it also has, <laughs> you know, I was, I was reading the cover and it's like, you know, the cover says, what a beautiful, day for a murder let's find a victim and i'm like wow i was surprised that the code actually allowed them to say something like that back then it was like oh wow i mean because back in the 70s the, the bronze age code the comic code they were so strict on what you could and could not do in a comic book people don't Actually, realize um, yeah i mean I, I wonder if the reason that the, the murder reference passes because it's you know one one supervillain thinking of murdering another supervillain or but then again, another joke is thinking of murdering anybody. So, yeah, I'm surprised that one got passed. You know, the other thing that I found interesting, because I was looking through this, this came out in 1976. And a few months prior to this particular thing, Jeanette Kahn, who was a multi-decade career at DC and helped shape the comic book industry, had just started back in 1976. And I, when I was looking at the credits, I was like, oh, wow, Jeanette Kahn. It's just, you know, when I heard that name, you know, in the in the credits, I'm like, and re- immediately all the stuff that she did in the comic book industry just flashed through my head. So much of the comic books that we have today 
goes back to some of the stuff that like Jeanette Kahn and some of the, even Jim Shooter did to create and shape and make the direct market and make it possible for comic books to, to thrive and survive in today's environment. Yes, I think that's a fair point. I think it could well be that maybe Jeanette Kahn was gently telling the editors just to push the boundaries just a little bit even then and just, you know, see if they could sort of nibble away at the edges of the comic code authority. This is a plain old silly Bronze Age title from the 1970s. To me, it really encapsulates what a 1970s DC comic was all about. Don't you? Would you? Would you agree with that, Martin? Uh, certainly. I mean, when I think of the Bronze Age 70s titles, I think of you know rollicking good yarns that are basically one or two issues. Uh, you know, you just you get all the information that you need in the story to enjoy the story. You have engaging characters that either are familiar or or explain them on the page and yes well the writers they did want to do nothing more than to entertain and they have artists who can tell a story without necessarily huge flashiness and that, that yeah that, that's what you get here it's anyone you know from probably any year before or afterwards could pick up this comic understand what's going on and just enjoy it no one's interested in sort of forming you know a big a big so you know a sub-genre within dc comics or a big epic story it's just like here's a good joker story with a good supervillain thrown in for good measure i think i think that's perfect bronze age stuff and before we we uh start wrapping up the other fun thing about this which is unlike uh today's kind of it's just a lot of words in there there's a lot of captions there's a lot of uh thought dialogues there's a lot of it's extremely wordy dense but it works. It's it shows you how a comic book, you know, back then, you know, could be so wordy and dense and still be so greatly entertaining and so much fun. So much different than today's comic books. But as I've said in the past, there's so many great comic books from every age that should be must read if read within the context of the times of when the comic book came out. That's true. I mean, what I particularly like about it is I mean it's written by one of my favorite DC writers, Elliot S. Magan, who, who of course was one of the mainstays of Julie of the Julie Schwartz's Superman line. And you know, he, he's been really good words with I mean, nowadays you'll read comics and if you get a narrative caption, it's just quite dull. Whereas, you know, here he's trying, you know, trying hard to be engaging in the captions, in the dialogue, you get little little learned references to Edgar Allan Poe and the like. And yeah, it's it's wordy, but every, every word serves a good purpose. And and you get new things. I mean, have you ever previously seen, as you have in this story, the scarecrow on his own version of the whirly bat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's how Joker escapes at the end was taking off on that whirly bat at at the end. It's just it, it's so much fun seeing these two together, and it it's it's a great read. I love this. Do you have oh, any clues? Do you have any closing so, thoughts before we wrap this up this time around, Martin? No, I just I just look things like the fact that you know, okay, we say the Bronze Age didn't have a lot of continuity, but this this issue, you know, the goons that you had in here, sort of, who's uh, and the other guy whose name I've forgotten for a second, but uh, they were in the previous issue along with another another guy called Sonny, who actually gets murdered by the Joker in this issue for revealing where the Joker's hideout is, and it's just. Wonderful that you know Elliot S. Magan within the within the bounds of telling one off one off stories, he's got continuity. Like you mentioned at the end of the issue, the Joker basically he gets himself back into Arkham Asylum because he's got himself a, a mini ha ha at the end under his regular cell in the in the asylum, and he, he gets his way back into there. And that was established in the previous issue that he built that, and it's just really really clever that you know you just 
you're getting a nice little continuing story, but you can just still just still pop in there. You know, it's really great. And I love I love the Irv Novik art. I mean, he's so underrated. What do you think of Irv Novik as an artist? I like Irv Novik as an artist, and I as as you were doing that, I also see some of the Neil Adams influence from a few years ago, but still making it an Irvik Joker. And you can see even at the end that this is a sinister. This is, I mean, this is a really crazy Joker. I mean, the Joker today is crazy, but he's like, he knows what he's doing. This Joker is just crazy. Like, you don't know what I'm going to do the next, you know, and it's just a very sinister, much more, like I said, scarier Joker than what we have today. The Joker today doesn't scare me. This Joker, the Bronze Age, he scared me. He was much more menacing. He was much more like the Golden Age. He wouldn't, I mean, if you said something that he didn't like, that Joker would just kill you in a heartbeat where the Joker today, yeah, he just kills everybody just for the heck of it. Yeah, Absolutely, I, yeah. There's there's more there's more danger this Joker. Today's Joker, he is, as you say, he's so predictable. If you see him, all you need you know, just just kill the kill the guy, you know, you don't don't give him a chance. But yeah, one of the things I really love about Urban Novik's art, this is, yeah, as you say, a bit of Neil Adams influence, but on, on page six, the page in which uh, the crumb the crumb on sunny November, the, the goon that worked for the Joker is killed. The first panels, to me, that's just very reminiscent, not totally, but reminiscent of Gene Colan. That could be a, a Tomb of Dracula type ways. You know, you're looking at him from below, and he's just, you know, walking through the panel, kicking a can into the garbage. Uh, yes, it, it, it does have a Gene Colan fear, uh, feel to it. it you know, it, 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 and at the end, you know, the guy is on the ground with his knees, and it, it, it does still come off as a very spooky, sinister type of cover or story, much more so than I would expect from a Bronze Age and DC comic book at the time. Absolutely. One thing I was interested in here, because nowadays, yeah, I think it's starting off to, well, starting to be prominent in, I think, the TV cartoons, maybe, and the animated series, it's Joker with Hyenas. And in here you have the, you have the joke that Hyena is a plot point, and obviously he's walking Hyena on the cover. But as it turns out, there's a nice surprise that you think Joker wants to steal the Hyenas, but in fact he just wants a picture of the Hyena from the Hyena enclosure for his cell at Arkham, which is quite get, funny, as you say, unpredictable. But... Yeah, Joker with Hyena, I can't remember ever being associated with them before this issue. It, it, it almost feels like Herb Novick was having a lot of fun drawing this issue. It just I think, it, I think, yeah, I think he was, because, you know, usually he's drawn, yeah, straightforward Batman or Flash, because he, he was my Flash artist, because he was the first Flash artist I came to drawing every issue in the Bronze Age of Barry Allen after Ross Andrew left. And to see him drawing something a bit wackier like this, where, you know, you've got the, 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 the scarecrow just jumping through walls and and a whole parade of poisonous moths. I mean, I love that you've got a panel where the poisonous moths appear and a little girl says something that's never been heard in the history of the world enthusiastically. Ooh, moths! Yes. I mean, a bit unusual. If you're a fan of Joker and you've not sampled much of the Bronze Age, or if you are a Bronze Age baby like me, you should go back and check out not only this issue, but the whole run. It's available in multiple formats. It's been collected. It's on uh, DC's Universe Infinite app. Try saying that one five times fast. But it's a great read. Martin. That, it absolutely is. And of course, what you get is a bonus in both the Joker Clown Prince of Crime paperback that collects the whole nine issues that were published and online. You get the never before published 10th issue, yes. which is in colour. And it's a, you know, if there's a story you probably won't have read previously. So, yep, totally with you. I recommend this series. Martin Gray from the blog, Too Dangerous with a Girl. 
talking about the Joker, Bronze Age series. Thank you for joining me today. I'll have you back on the podcast, and it won't be so long next time. Thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for having me. Lovely chatting. Thank you for listening to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. Please, don't forget to follow us and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. If you can, leave a rating and a review. If you like what you hear, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You'll find that link in the show notes. Thanks again. Hope you tune in for the next time.